Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. She was alone. Something she was never meant to be. Her people were tribal. Blood and bond. And her ability to use the Force gave her a galaxy of brethren from all species. Even after she left the Jedi Temple, she could feel the others when she wanted to. The ebb and flow of them in the Force around her. Until, of course, she couldn't. Welcome, Masters and Padawans, to episode 190 of Full of Sin. I am Brian Young, and uh, you might have noticed that I am not Mike Pilot. Mike is feeling under the weather, and we want to wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, so with me today, instead, are, is is the, our, our co-host, the Amy Radcliffe. I don't know why that took so long for me to say, but uh, Amy, thank you for being with us. Of course. It's uh, two weeks in a row for me. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Yeah. And then to help us fill out the panel, uh, we have uh, one of our favorite guest co-hosts, Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Hi. Well, and people often mistake Mike and I, so it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Nobody can tell um, us apart. Well, I say you're from Stuff You <laughs> Missed in History, but I forget, like, you're also my co-host on Fothentic History. That is correct, sir. Which hopefully people are listening to. Yeah. Um. So, Amy, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Because I don't want to just point to me and say, hey, Brian, what are we talking about today? Which is what Mike usually does. But why don't you tell us what we're doing today? Yes, I I was. I will say this probably in a much more boring way than you will. But we're talking about the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston. So this is your spoiler warning. If you have not read the book, save this episode for a later time and revisit once you've read it. Because we're going to go there. So. Or listened to it. Because Ashley reads yes, it, and that's, that's an true. entertaining that is an entertaining way to do it. She does a really good job with it. And so, I know listeners have said before that they want to, like a brief synopsis before we dive in. Is that right? Indeed. So I have that pulled up. Oh, thank goodness. Because um, <laughs> my, my memory is going to be like, a thing happened, and she was on the run, and it was, was that person. <laughs> Sounds compelling. Um, I had it pulled up and then that window closed. So now I have it. So the summary, uh, Ahsoka Tano, fan favorite character from Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, is the star of her own young adult novel from Disney Lucasfilm Press. Um, uh, Fans have long wondered what happened to Ahsoka after she left the Jedi Order near the end of The Clone Wars and before she reappeared as the mysterious rebel operative Fulcrum in Rebels. Finally, her story will begin to be told Following her experiences with the Jedi and the devastation of Order 66, Ahsoka is unsure if she can be part of a larger whole ever again, but her desire to fight the evils of the Empire and protect those who need it will lead her right to Bail Organa and the Rebel Alliance. That's that's a succinct enough... Uh, that's a pretty succinct... I mean, it doesn't take you through the ins and the outs, but it certainly gives you the highlights. Yeah, yeah that's I, the general path. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm wondering, so, so the book, uh, it would be safe, I think, to listen to the episode we did from Salt Lake Comic Con with the author E.K. Johnston, if you wanted a non-spoiler version of that. And that was an episode we released two months ago. Uh, so you can check that out, but that's a great conversation to listen to after you've read the book as well. But, uh, I want to start out with, with, uh, with her writing style in general, how did you feel the book kind of carried us through? This is our only second, this is only our second YA, and I'm putting air quotes in that, uh, Star Wars novel. Uh, how did her writing work for both of you? I will say that I enjoyed the book 
but I think comparing it to the other YA novel, Lost Stars, I feel like Ahsoka was written to a younger audience. There were times when I definitely felt like the dialogue was a little simple, a little not Ahsoka to me. But I mean, overall, like I enjoyed it. Like, but I could like it. I would have. I want. Well, I just want more Ahsoka. So I'm like, I want a novel written for adults about Ahsoka. I actually really quite enjoyed the writing style. Like, I think the cadence of it just syncs with me well. You know how there are some writers where just their writing style kind of syncs up with your your brain and your way of speaking. Um, so I loved it from that perspective. I feel like she has a really good sense of um, scansion and flow to be a little bit nerdy. Yes. Um, you know, nothing feels like a clunky overwrought sentence, which is what always makes me crazy when I'm reading a book. Um, it feels very natural, which I loved. Um, I think my only issue with the writing, um, because I, I really did, I adored the book and I adored the story that it, that it told, but my only minor quibble, and it is a very small quibble, um, is that at one point when Ahsoka leaves the planet she's on and she leaves behind everyone that she was protecting there and she goes for what seems like to be months and it feels like time sort of stops on that planet while Ahsoka's gone and then when she comes back everyone's in almost exactly the same situation she left her in and that rang a little hollow to me. But like I said, that's such a minor quibble in the writing that everything else around it worked so well for me that, that I'm willing to forgive that super easily. Yeah, and I can forgive like when I think about my like a small town where people kind of do the same thing, drive the same job. Like not much has changed in my parents' lives in well, the past six months. She did leave them in a cave, like wounded and, and oh, see, like, com- oh, that planet. Yeah, That's what I was about to say. Right. Sorry, which of those scenarios do you mean, Brian? Because well, like the scenario, like after the Empire knows they're on, that is onto them, and she's yeah, like, yeah. "I've got to get out of here," and otherwise, you're not safe, and and she just leaves. Okay, I it thought pe- you meant when she left the first family. No, ship. no, when she goes back to that family and just kind of like picks up her old life again for months on end and starts doing smuggling runs, and then she comes back and like these kids are still like living in these same caves that she left them in as though no time had advanced. Right. Yeah, they do. It is addressed a little bit because they talk about, um, you know, from Caden's perspective, like it just feels like it's been an interminable amount of time, but I, I, I see what you're saying where it, it, uh, you know, hiding in a cave is maybe hard to convey in terms of timeline. Yeah, when there's no ch- there's no change in circumstance, like I I don't know how from a storytelling standpoint you would really fully convey that unless it does become that sort of like very potentially overly expositional. It sure has been a long go time. Uh, so- <laughs> but that was that's I mean that's I think that's my only major complaint about the book. Um, yeah completely which is which is i think a pretty minor complaint that i was so invested in it that i saw this and i was like huh that's a little weird but i don't care because of where we're we're going next but where the book started i think is probably one of my favorite moments in a star wars book recently and uh i want to talk to you both about how this like folded into the clone wars because the 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 opening of this book shows us some pretty surprising things that I was not expecting. I'm going to let Holly go first because I will admit everyone. It's been almost two months or so since I've read this and I had, no, it's been a little over two months and I have a, I mean, I've said it before on Paul. I've said my memory is terrible. Uh, So I don't really remember what happened. I can can refresh your memory if you'd like, and then you can both comment on it. (laughs) That would be helpful for me. So it opens on the eve of, Order 66, where Anakin is handing Ahsoka back her lightsabers that she surrendered at the end of Season 5 of Clone Wars. And he is tasking her with going to face off with Darth Maul at the Siege of Mandalore. And he's basically, the reason he's entrusting this to her is because he has to take off to deal with the Chancellor who's been kidnapped. Which is, like, he's literally, like, the last person he talks to before taking off to go save the Chancellor at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith was his old apprentice. 
And I think uh, she said that was the last time she saw him too, right? Did she say yeah. that in Rebels? Yeah, which is it the scene had a very a very similar kind of vibe for me as the one with uh with Obi-Wan and Anakin on that platform before Obi-Wan takes off to Utapau where there's this like finality to it and they're saying goodbye forever but they don't realize they are. Yeah. Um I really like that. So what how did you two feel about about that? And in other ways that this book connects up to Clone Wars. And being a Clone Wars being rather enthusiastic about Clone Wars, I really like that, but I think it is a hard a hard selling point. And I, I wrote this in my review that I think it's the best and worst part about the book is how much it does connect to Clone Wars. Because if you haven't watched Clone Wars, this isn't a book I would recommend for you if you don't already know Ahsoka. I don't think it stands on its own very well apart from... Or at least maybe it'll stand on its own, but you certainly won't appreciate it or get as much out of it the same way as if you, if as if you would knowing Ahsoka and knowing where she's come from. But for me, who loves the Clone Wars, I was really happy to see all the callbacks and all the mentions and how much they referred kind of to some things that we didn't know about or kind of filled in some gaps. I thought that was a delight. Yeah, I find myself wondering, like as we sort of continue. Um, Throughout Star Wars, as every you know, as everything is kind of tied together now, how often that's going to be the case where there's going to be something a little bit lost if you're not kind of up on all the other pieces of the puzzle. That's um, a good point. I felt that reading Catalyst a little bit. I don't want to get too much into that, but I definitely think watching Clone Wars in its entirety will definitely help you appreciate more out of that book. And I think it's the same with Ahsoka. Holly? Yeah. I'm d- I'm just being dead air lady. Um yeah, I mean I I really loved sort of the the callouts and I always find myself going, "Man, I really wish I took notes during any one of the I think I've seen Clone Wars all the way through like 3 times." But even so, there are times when I'm like, "Okay, how what point did that happen where I'm trying to like piece it all together?" So in those moments, I feel like that's maybe the dangerous thing that I'm sort of talking about with everything interlocking is that I know it's going to get trickier and trickier and like to have to rely on my sometimes dodgy and deeply faulty memory. Uh, I, I worry. I feel like I'm, I'm going to need Cliff's notes for everything, like in a, a madly scribbled notebook somewhere. You both have me, though. You could just be like, hey, Brian, when did this happen? And I'll be like, oh, here. I like how you've just established yourself as the king. That's, you're like, I'm Mr. Knowledge. Just come to me. It's fine. No, it's it's a sickness <laughs> that I have that I retain all of that stuff. It's really weird. I can't remember, like, where I left my keys. But if you want to know about, you know, some random bit of thing from Clone Wars and how it relates to Rogue One or Star Wars or whatever, I'm your person. Good to know. No, I do want to do a, a rewatch of Clone Wars, though, where I take notes. Just because it would be so helpful for what I do. And I mean, I, Wikipedia has a good amount of that stuff and kind of will help me be like, oh, that's right, that thing was mentioned in this episode, then I can kind of dive back. But I prefer my own my own notes. Can, can I tell you another Clone Wars tie that I absolutely loved was Ahsoka burying her lightsabers with the fake corpse of Rex. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved, like, there's so much more there I want to know about. But I, 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 it was just, there was a lot of those heartbreaking moments where she's looking back into the past and it's so good. Yeah, you got to Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Holly. Oh, I was just going to say, because I'm going to diverge. So, um, I was going to say, uh, since you spoke of lightsabers, it's it, I I just deeply want to get into talking about hers. Oh, the new ones. Yeah, yeah. Please, I think that was a not something I was expecting. Let's. Um. Yeah, I never would have. And again, we're into deep spoiler territory here. So I feel, even though there we had the caveat at the beginning. If, if you thought, well, I can, I can handle it. No, jump away now because <laughs> you're nicer than I. Am. <laughs> um, well, 
Not really. We know in real life, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I I never would have anticipated that the source of her lightsabers crystals was an inquisitor's lightsabers that that inquisitor had stolen from someone else yeah yeah and it it kind of uh you know the way that this book sort of dives into how the nature of a, a crystal can be changed depending on who uses it and how they manipulate it through the force is kind of lovely and i quite enjoyed it and that was a new thing uh, right, that we hadn't heard before yeah, they're really getting into the whole kyber crystals crystals as living crystals thing. Yeah. And I have a suspicion that we will be hearing a lot more about that soon. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, the fact that there is this whole sort of mini chapter, that little interstitial that's not quite from the point of view of the crystals, but almost... I was like, oh, what is this? Hello. Uh, I really loved that. Like, I love sort of the mysticism of it. It's quite uh, an engaging kind of way to get into that topic. Well, I'm curious from both of you how, like, how that works. Because the traditional sort of feeling about Sith or dark side crystals that yield red sabers is that they were synthetic crystals and that the Sith couldn't access any of the crystal veins. But now we know that they could have stolen them from Jedi. And because you have to use the force to put your saber together, that you can change the nature of that crystal. Um, like, how do you feel about that versus the synthetic thing? As far as so, I actually feel like it doesn't contradict. Yeah. Um, I think it it could be one of those things you could get into the argument that it's a semantics discussion because they have that whole thing. Um, it's mentioned, in this book where Ahsoka explains that that is called bleeding the crystals when they get changed by a dark side user, which you could argue, I mean, again, it becomes a semantics thing, but you could kind of negotiate a way that, that those aren't incongruous, uh, that they're sort of creating a synthetic version of the, like they're, they're creating a synthetic nature of them, even though it is a naturally forming crystal. Does that make sense? I'm probably being really obtuse here. No, that makes sense that they're taking a natural, I mean, it's kind of like if I have a natural crystal from somewhere and paint it red with paint, well, I don't know why I would do that. That's a terrible analogy, but then it kind of makes it You're painting the roses red, painting the yeah. roses red, and it gives them a, a fake quality. So, I'm wondering, though, the thing that fascinated me the most about this, and I'm probably, I don't think anybody else naturally le leapt there, but what does that mean for Mace Windu's saber? Oh. Because if he had to put his together in the Force, and his is purple, which is sort of like a mix of, like, like blue and red, what does that say about Mace Windu? That Samuel Jackson wanted a purple lightsaber. Right. <laughs> But um, you I you mean, can backwards engineer it to be to have meaning. You could also even say like there is. I mean, this is one of those things where it becomes sort of like, um, you know, English one hundred and one, where you interpret the writing however you wish, as long as you can support it. Um, I mean, you could make the case that it it's kind of a, a visual representation of kind of the hubris that caused that that blindness to the dark side of the force that gets talked about throughout the prequel trilogy, like where they're like, we can't always see what we think we see. And since he's kind of running that show at that point, you know, and is one of the, the leaders of the Jedi council, you could make that argument that because it is, it is not a blue or green saber. And it is this combination sort of of blue and red that he's there's, even though it may not be dark side specific, there is the darkness of hubris that is kind of meeting up with, his Jedi nature. I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I, cause sometimes with that stuff, I'm like, uh, when they made Mace Windu's lightsaber, they didn't know that five years later, some things they do know in advance, but I don't think the Kyber crystals had been explored to that degree when the prequel trilogy came out. And we know that Sam Jackson wanted well, a purple lightsaber, but I think Holly, I mean, I get it. You make a really good point. Like that's an interesting way to look at it. Now that we, we know that lightsaber colors can be affected, that the crystal colors can be affected in this way. You have to think about it's the same. It's the same kind of thing as watching a new hope. Um, 
there were possibly like Lucas had gone back and forth on whether or not Leia was Luke's sister or Vader was his father, but you have to reevaluate it in the light of the new information of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I right? don't disagree. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you you are. I'm just saying like it's one of those things that like I think one of the things Star Wars has been best at from the very beginning is offering you new meaning that maybe they hadn't even thought of. Right. To force you to go back and reevaluate everything. I mean, let me be frank. I understand just loving the color purple. So, <laughs> um, he but it's, it to happen. you know, right. But you, I mean, you can, you know, if, if you need it to have meaning, it, there's certainly paths where you can do so. Find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about what how do you feel about the controversy that there's there there's some uh some people upset about about this? They're upset about the lightsabers? About, yeah. Really? About the, the bleeding of the crystals. It's mostly people who were fans of the old expanded universe who feel like it's a it's it's a pretty drastic change and they feel like it's for no reason. Well, that's Sounds, yeah, and like that sounds like an unfortunate <laughs> problem for them. Um, Which sounds dismissive, and I don't mean it to sound dismissive, but it's kind of like, well, but this is this is canon. This is what it is. The EU wasn't canon, right? This like we know that we can't. Yeah, we know we can't expect those old rules or explanations to apply at this point. So it seems kind of like I totally understand that if you loved it the other way this is frustrating, but like that particular horse is dead at this point. And it is a, it's not even like a, and it's a way to explain why she has white lightsabers, which nobody else does. Like it's a way to look at that in an interesting way instead of like, Oh, found these white lightsabers somewhere. I think I'll use them. Yeah. That certainly makes an interesting point about, um, the people have asked like, well, why didn't Anakin just instantly have, a red lightsaber then when he turned into Darth Vader, but you know, he didn't have to rebuild his lightsaber. Right. Uh, he didn't have to rebuild his lightsaber right then and there. So it would have turned red and Obi-Wan takes his blue lightsaber. So he's forced to make a new one. Right. Which makes me wonder if, because he's, it sort of implies that like the Kyber crystals only want to be used by I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like kyber crystals want to be used by people who are doing good, right? Yeah. And that when they're touched by the dark side, they don't like that, and that's why they turn red. Uh, because they feel like they're, Do like, they... infected, so to speak. Yeah, so, like, is it that they can't find them on their own like the Jedi do? And the, the Jedi have to steal, or the Sith, have, or the dark side users in general have to steal their lightsabers? And it makes me doubly wonder, this is an interesting thing that just came into my head. Why is Kylo Ren's crystal cracked? Because he probably threw a tooth uh, tantrum and broke it when he was like trying to make a lightsaber and got really frustrated and smashed it on the grounds. But what if... Well, I'm just, I, I am to say, like... By the way. I mean, I, I, you could certainly, you know, guess, right? Like, my guess would be that he knows just enough about this concept of bleeding a crystal to be bad at it. You know what I mean? To make a stab at it that is not good and probably damaged it in the process. Um, or he found one that was broken and that was the one that he got to kind of try this little move on. What if Luke jacked his lightsaber and disarmed him and cut, uh, cut his lightsaber and damaged the crystal. And so this saber was his attempt to put it back together. Oh, maybe. Yeah, could be. I want to see that fight. I don't know, but how often... I mean, the thing is, is like, how often have we talked about lightsaber lore? Which is, I think, one of the things I love about this book is that it introduced it to the point where we could have this conversation and ask what the meanings of certain people's sabers or saber colors might yeah, be. Yeah, I don't think that was something we could really... I mean, you could talk about a little before, but not to this extent. Yeah. Well, before it would just be like, well, Sam Jackson liked purple. There and you go. Sith like had red ones. And again, which is a totally acceptable reason. <laughs> I'm so just, what are the? I'm just you know promoting the purple agenda. I don't. Something. There's nothing wrong with the purple agenda, right? It 
especially when it's of the rain variety. (laughs) Um, You know what? I'm surprised I haven't seen more feedback about because the internet is what it is and fandom is what it is. And I saw the way they reacted to Sinjir. Is that a saying correct? In Aftermath? Yeah. Sinjir. Really, Brian? (laughs) I'm just (laughs) What? No, I I was agreeing with you. I don't know if that's... I think I've heard Wendig pronounce it that way, but I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter either way. <laughs> Leia, Leah, whoever. whatever. Um, that I, I took Ahsoka's relationship with... Now, that name I am spacing on, the lady in the town, to very much it, interpret that she is bisexual. Ahsoka? Yeah. Like, I... I, um, I definitely... I mean, obviously, Caden is interested it, in her... But it's very nebulous if that is reciprocated, I thought. At Salt Lake Comic Con, I asked uh, the author about oh. this, and she told me that she tried to make Ahsoka purposely uh, asexual, and that being raised by Jedi and not having those attachments or those interests, that she was uh, Ahsoka, she was writing Ahsoka as an asexual person who has no interest in sexuality uh, so that she's not, she's neither bisexual or, or, or heterosexual or anything. She's just completely out of that game completely. But yes, I think Caden was exactly the right tool to bring that out. I thought that was super fascinating. Mm, But we saw her also, we saw her be super flirty with Lux. Like she was into Lux. It didn't go anywhere. Maybe it could be because she's just, but she was into Lux in Clone Wars. Seemed to be yeah, into Lux. Although she she's matured a, a good bit since That's then. That's true. But I don't, So I just want, don't think the Jedi upbringing necessarily, like I don't. Right. I can't, I can't see a path to the asexual thing because we've seen her be, she was younger for sure. Teenagers, hormones and things. But she was flirty with Lux and in the Andoran arc, he was getting close with Stila and she was. Jealous. Yeah, she was jealous. Again, yeah. teenage emotions. But yeah, I, I totally read it as her having some sort of feelings for Caden. I mean, it could be that, you know, the the Onderon experience was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, where she's like, oh no, attachment is really not for me. I can't handle it. Could be for sure. Uh, yeah. And I wonder... I, I, I like I wonder if she knows I guess she wouldn't be able to pull it all together until Twilight of the Apprentice but uh like the uh the idea that like I think she knew about Anakin and Padme's relationship and by Twilight of the Apprentice maybe she knows to the extent that Anakin was driven like maybe she figures out why he made that turn. And I wonder what happens, what would happen if she ever found out that Anakin had kids. I don't know. I really love Ahsoka as a character because I kind of always felt like she was, she's the sort of Jedi Luke and Leia would have both turned into if Anakin, good Anakin and Padme had been able to raise them because Ahsoka was very much, um, she spent so much time with Padme too that they both had that really strong guiding influence on her. Yeah. Speaking of Luke and Leia, can we talk about Bale and the kids and what he knows and what he hides from her? And please, I love all of that. Like I love, there's a a moment at the very end of the book where he is talking about Leia to Ahsoka. And he says, she's turning out to be a lot like her mother and she senses that there is deeper meaning behind it, but she's like, I don't know what he's getting at. Um, I think it's phrased like she senses that was a test, but she doesn't know the answer. Um, that's not the exact phrasing, but the test answer thing is is kind of what I'm getting at. And I kind of love that, that clearly it establishes that Ahsoka may have had certainly insight into Anakin and Padme's relationship, but she really is not connecting the dots on the kids. Yeah, and I don't think she would Which- have any... I mean, well, sorry, my neighbors are apparently moving furniture upstairs. <laughs> At least they're not playing bowl, you know, bowling. They're not bowling, which I think they do sometimes. But I, 
That makes sense to me. Oh, now my Ahsoka's on the desk, so everything is... <gasps> Kitty time! No, she's rubbing right against the microphone, too. Hold on. Okay. Come here. Oh, okay. Well, if there's an episode to have her interrupt... No kidding. Okay, maybe she'll just lay here. Oh, she got her paw... Oh, she got her tail in my water glass and just dripped it everywhere. No. <sighs> Cats. <laughs> Uh, um, okay. She got some on my computer, babe. so hold on a second. Sorry. <laughs> I feel better that it's not always me, then. No, like, she did. As I just have a creature freaking out. Okay. Well, thanks, Ahsoka. Hopefully those few drops of water don't hurt anything. Okay. Well, if, if, if I stop, if you, if you never hear from me again, it's because my laptop shorted out. Okay. Sorry, Bail. Okay. Bail. And Ahsoka and the kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Ahsoka kind of put those pieces together. I I agree with you, Brian and Holly. I think she knew about Padme and Anakin. I think there was one episode of the Clone Wars where that I don't remember which one it was where it came together for me that I'm like, she knows what's going on. Yeah. She she at least suspects it. But I I don't think she'd have any reason because Padme got pregnant after after she left the order or at least started showing after she left the order, I think. So she wouldn't have any reason to, but she would have heard that Padme, well, maybe she wouldn't have like heard that Padme had kids because she heard that Padme had children. No one. Yeah, that's true. But nobody noticed she was, oh, she wore very big dresses. Well, and she, uh, she she was pretty blatantly pregnant at the end there. Well, no, they told everyone that she was pregnant. And the kids died when she died. Yeah. And that was, man, I mean, I, I, it's amazing to think about, like, how many people, I mean, Ahsoka is one of those characters, and we kind of see these glimpses of it where, like, she really did lose everyone she was close to. Like, Obi-Wan, as far as presumed dead, uh, and Bale doesn't tell her about Obi-Wan. Um, I guess that's operational security right there, right? Um, yeah, I mean, he consciously decides not to. Which couldn't have been easily and, like, yeah. yeah. She thinks Anakin's dead because she can't feel him in the Force at all anymore. Padme's death was probably broadcast everywhere. Every Jedi she ever know, knew, except for probably Barra Sophie, um, probably died. You know, and she knew what went on with the clones, and she knew the uh, extent of of Palpatine's treachery, you know, she, she doesn't have anything left, which is why I think it's, it's a really fascinating contrast to see her and Obi-Wan where she's posing as Ashla, which is something interesting to talk about later. Um, and just sort of trying to make a way for herself without using the force. She kind of falls into that pattern. Kanan tried to, uh, that Obi-Wan is forced to, and, uh, it's a really fascinating journey for me to see a Jedi try to not be a Jedi, right? Or someone who's trained as a Jedi and trained to help and trained to care so much have to put that aside and be a bystander instead. And obviously Ahsoka is way worse at that than, 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 uh, than Kanan is because Kanan was able to resist it a lot longer. And uh, the only one who is really good at it is, is Obi-Wan because he ends up, doing it uh for for almost 20 years oh it's staying hidden you mean yeah yeah well staying hidden and, and not getting involved right and it, well i think it's just even putting the jedi stuff aside and, and her actions it's interesting to see that somebody who has suffered so much trauma how she reacts and how to think you know if anakin anakin was sort of in her shoes in a way not exactly but she she could have absolutely flipped out and been you would be like yes i totally see why she has gone off the rails but she didn't and that's the part of that's part of why i think you get more enjoyment out of this book if you know the character and know everything she's been through and know who she trained with to watch her come out that i mean not that i expected her not to be strong but to watch her come out of that the way she did, even though she was carrying a lot of guilt and, and self, uh, self-torture self even, I feel like, 
it's really remarkable that she's that she got to where she is basically well and it's sort of like a a sad and lovely comment on her situation that the only entity she shares like sort of a genuine moment of acknowledging what she's lost with is a droid like when she and R2 are like yeah I miss Anakin too yeah oh yeah yeah I think that's one of those most that was one of the most touching moments in the the book for me is when I realized that we were going to see that reunion Mm -hmm. that was incredible to me and I really loved how R2 still like sort of plays his own cards close to his chest to the point where like he he will go off the the reservation even for bail or like like he's sort of that super loyal version of chopper yeah <laughs> less likely to try to kill anybody um but more likely to completely fill out his own agenda rather than even his owners yeah yeah well i think he has like a per- like a greater his agenda is usually just a little more beneficial to the, towards the greater good than like Chopper getting his leg back, <laughs> which ended up working out <laughs> well for everyone, but not the yeah. most selfless of, of moves on Chopper's part. Oh, and really uh-huh. quick before we get away from R2 and Bale, can I just say that the next character, like a character I want to see more of, in books, comics, whatever, is Bail Organa. Yeah. 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 Do you know who I want to see more of from this particular book? Greedo? He's not in this book, but I always want to see more Greedo. Um, no, it's Zelda the bartender. Like, the yes. Greedo bartender. Of course. Yes. I know, I always I always want anybody who's going to serve cocktails to be seen more. But um, no, I actually thought he seemed like he had a lot of potential to be an interesting side character. Dude knows some things. You know, yeah. He's got prosthetics, he's scarred up, which just visually, like a Togruta that's scarred up with prosthetics is kind of an interesting image. Um, but he also, you know, clearly, like, is a survivor and gets kind of the severity of what is going on in the galaxy and is willing to, in his own way, find a way to work against it. Uh, yeah, I think he has potential to do some really. And Could you say that? Could you say that last sentence again? I did not hear it. Oh, he has the potential to do some really interesting stuff. Yeah, no, he does. And I think it's a kind of a smart move that they set it up where all of the um, the refugees from Rada, I don't know if that's how you say it, um, but I will tell you a funny story in a moment if you like, uh, are potentially going to be like... I always to hear funny stories. Uh, I don't know if other people will find it funny. But uh, so all of those refugees from Rada kind of are pote- potentially like the first kind of big growth of the rebellion. Um that sets up some interesting stuff that we could see those people again. Yeah. Well, I, this set up a lot for the rebellion. Um, and it set up a lot for Ahsoka as part of leading that rebellion and Bail Organa too. Um, I was surprised. I thought that the arc of this book would be her getting her lightsabers, especially since she's on the cover as having white lightsabers. But I didn't realize that, that it would directly tie her into becoming Fulcrum right then and there, which means that her reign as Fulcrum building the, building the, the, the rebel Alliance. That's, that's a role she took for more than a decade. Yeah. Like I, I just assume that would be way later. That maybe, maybe her and Bail Organa connected up later, and and that was that. But, but no, I mean, the, the they really set this up is that the rebellion was set up on the back of Ahsoka Tano, mm-hmm. which is also yummy because it gives us a nice fat swath of timeline for more Ahsoka stuff. Yeah. Well, and we know the kinds of things she'd be doing. Exactly. Like, we could just have spy thriller after spy thriller of Ahsoka's intelligence network. Yes. 
That's all I have to say. When I I close this book, I'm like, okay, like what's left? What could they still, what stories could be still get of Ahsoka? Like where there's still gaps in the timeline that they could go explore. And that's a perfect area for them now that she is part of the Rebellion Alliance to kind of get into before she meets the ghost crew. I want to know so much more about the situation with the Siege of Mandalore and how that worked, especially with the new episode of uh, Rebels um, with Sabine and the Super Commandos and, like, more hints about what the hell happened on Mandalore. Yeah. Like, I was hoping for more answers about that and got zero of them. Like, I got that Maul was definitely there. He definitely escaped after Son of Dathomir. And Ahsoka foiled him. I will say Which, this. To me, it's almost suspicious how little we have been told about that. Yeah. Agreed. But also, I, I know that it is an, an interesting point in history for Star Wars and an important one. But for some reason, when I hear Mandalore, I just, my eyes glaze, glaze over and I stop paying attention. I don't know if it's <laughs> it's just because like, of my, like, eh, like the Boba Fett thing, which I'm, I kind of get, but I'm like, is not my character. He wasn't a Mandalorian. I know, but it's he wears Mandalorian armor and people call it. So it's just a, a general, like this week's Rebels, I've had the, I've had the screener for four days now and I'm just like, eh. Sabine, yay, I, Mandalore, I liked, do not care. I liked the episode. You like every episode of Rebels. No, I don't like every episode of Rebels. Okay, I've liked... <laughs> I I think Rebels has been way more consistent than that Clone Wars. That is 100% was. true. There were some episodes of Clone Wars that I absolutely despised and said that publicly and, and wrote it down. Like, And most of them were Mandalore episodes. Yeah. Like, Though weirdly, yeah. There were some really bad... Oh, the Poison Tea one, yeah. Yup. That's probably <laughs> the single worst episode. Maybe that's Clone part Wars. of why I'm like, Ugh, Mandalore, I just have like a memory i don't know but i do know i do recognize its importance in in star wars and i'm trying to be better about but overcoming my has has there been an episode of rebels that's let you down so far there have been some that ones in there but not anything like that i recall with clone wars like you said overall it's been consistent but there have been some that have been mixed bags like i remember the hera b-wing episode i was like this is fun, but it was just more that they promoted it. Like, this is Hera's backstory. It's exciting. And it was just like, no, no, that just reinforced what we already know, that Hera and likes to fly. For me, that episode was all just like, holy crap, it's all West End game stuff. I know all of yeah, this stuff. Yeah, not, not having that backgrounds are not super, like, I'm like, vehicles are cool, but that's not my particular jam in Star Wars. So I'm like, it's B-Wing. So, but that's just my personal baggage. I don't, that I bring. <laughs> bring to the viewing. Well, I think I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by this episode. I think Fen Rao does some really interesting stuff. I think Sabine's really interesting. Uh, and it advances things another step further in a way that I really like. And I kind of like the pattern the show is falling into where they're finding people and they're joining the rebellion and they're kind of falling off the show where the idea is like they're bringing these people into the rebellion. And that's sort of like everywhere the, the ghost crew touches, they're finding people to recruit and bring in. And it's becoming more and more steady and prevalent as the show goes on. As they march closer toward, you know, the destruction of all. Which is only what two years away at this point, which is bananas. Something like that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Man, why do we have to just? Why do they have to destroy Alderaan? I know Um, all that art and culture. But uh, as far as as far as um, there were a couple of other things in the book I really liked. Um, The Obi Wan interlude, which felt very much like a page literally out of John Jackson Kenobi, Kenobi right? Yes. Oh, I like. I really like that book. Yeah. I I want John Jackson Miller to basically just revise it as canon. 
Like, can't they do that? Can't they just put out a special edition and say this this special edition version is canon? I would be on board. Like the revised canonized edition. I can't see why yeah. not. And I like. I mean, there's probably some reason, but I don't want to accept it. And uh, <laughs> that's fair. And a tangent, a little bit. Jeez, I'm sorry, my neighbors are loud. Everybody. A tangent related ish is uh, the didn't they do like a standalone Star Wars comic that was about Kenobi, right? In the ongoing Star Wars series. There were there were two issues, I think, two or three issues that were like from the journals. Yeah, because those made me think of Kenobi as well. I'm gonna reread those, but anyway, Kenobi and, and this book. So what about the Inquisitors? That's also a program that I was really startled by that I thought it would take Palpatine longer to organize. Yeah. But this is like, this is a year later. I wouldn't be surprised given what we know about Palpatine if he had that force just kind of, like he at least had the bone. Yeah, like and just had it ready to go and was essentially like, all right, order 66 done. Like you guys, like it's your turn. Like you're hired. Here's your money. I totally almost forgot to mention what I thought was probably the most heartbreaking moment of the book. And you two can correct me if I'm wrong, but, and it ties so much. I love how everything in every era is tying into where we're heading uh, with the movies right now. But the strip mining of Ilum. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wasn't that just devastating? Yes. Well, especially thinking but, back, like, to what we saw of it, like, in the little younglings, like, working through all their little troubles to get their crystals. Because I just recently rewatched those for some, I mean, not for some reason, they're good episodes, but for a specific purpose. So, like, I had that relatively fresh in my mind, and then I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, is, is David Tennant's droid character, Huang, still out there somewhere, I wonder? You're, I hope so. I really like him. Fingers crossed. But but no, like seeing Ilum like that, but it, it also like, A, it adds to that whole lightsaber discussion and it adds to the whole idea like it goes back to episodes of Clone Wars, like the Crystal Crisis episode, um, which is the, the unfinished episodes where like Anakin and Obi-Wan foil that plot on the part of the pirates to sell that giant kyber crystal to the separatists. And it goes back to that episode of rebels. It goes forward to that episode of rebels where they find out about the shipment of whatever. uh, I think it was a season one episode. I don't remember the circumstances as clearly, but they had to go kill a shipment for something headed towards something that might've been a super weapon. And it was basically the same explosion that you'd get as they were getting in the crystal crisis. And then now you're seeing like, well, where were they getting those crystals? Well, now we know. And it, 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 it hurt. It sucks. Yeah, that's for it's sure. Heartbreaking. It is. There's that great line where Ahsoka is thinking something along the lines of like, they don't even understand what they're pulling out of the ground. Um, which is hard. They don't, but there's a scientist who might. Right. But it is that whole, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they have no sense of like the, the importance and like the, the, the sacredness of that yes. space that they're or destroying. If they do, they don't, I mean, they very well could right. and not give two shakes. And that, that kind of brings up like, is that what's going to happen with Jetta as well in Rogue One? All right. Cause it's the like where they, they do. Yeah, they strip mine one sacred place to create a weapon to score the face of another sacred place in advance of destroying Alderaan entirely. Like, it seems like just one step after another, they're radicalizing people against themselves. Can you remind me, is Jedha uh, Jin and Galen's home planet? No, it is not. It is definitely not. So I was going to say, cause maybe they just chose it. Like, I'd be curious to know if they did choose the Jedi because of the, the state, you know, the, the force connection. Yeah. I would presume. Probably. Right. I mean, that makes life. I'm not, I mean, like I have no idea where Jedi fits into the story. Uh, I don't know where Scarif fits into the story either. Um, but it, it is weird. Like we know that at some point the death star, 
was worked on on Geonosis, and then it ends up elsewhere because the Death Star is missing by the time our rebel heroes show up in Rebels in the Honorable Ones. Oh, from Geonosis, right. Yeah. So it, it got moved from Geonosis to elsewhere, probably Scarif, somehow. But when that happened, we know it's at least before Rebels. So maybe Jeddah was just close. Maybe Jeddah was like on the way to the next place they were heading in order to need to test it or something. Or um, I don't know, but it seems like in the material, Chirrut and Bays come from Jeddah. So maybe, I, I don't know. We'll have to see the movie for that. Yay! It's not much long. See the it, it's not much longer for the movie. No. It's very soon. I'm very... Um, but Catalyst offers some answers about their home world. So everyone just has to be patient for a minute. Yeah, I mean, Catalyst comes out in like a week, week and a half as you're listening to this. Oh, yeah, because I forgot that it's in November. It's not like directly yeah. before the movie. So you have a good, some good time to digest before the movie comes out. Um, I feel like, like, I really liked it, but I feel like almost like you've reminded me that it doesn't matter if I say I liked something Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You do like a lot of the Star Wars things. That is accurate. Well, I think part of the reason I enjoy Star Wars so much is that like, I can look into what I want to like about it and then just kind of ignore the stuff I'm mad about unless it's just a total dumpster fire like that, that poisoned tea episode of clone wars. <laughs> you know, like, for somebody that's probably their favorite episode. So I'm always, no, I've talked I'm always to somebody reticent about, about, you know, calling anything a dumpster fire. That's a creative endeavor. But they tried to remake the third man without Harry Lime. I understand. See, and I don't even know what that is, so I don't even bring that to it. Oh, Amy, I'm so excited that you'll one day watch the third man. Hopefully, one maybe. Day. It's good. You would enjoy it. It's a really good movie. It's really good. Oh, do you want to hear my funny thing? Yes. Please. Okay, so, so Rada, <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Um, it's the name of this planet. Did you guys ever watch the Cartoon Network show Chowder? No. no. Okay, because I loved that show. Um, and on it, there was this rock monster named Schnitzel who was voiced by John DiMaggio. And the only word he ever said was Rada. Like, <laughs> so he'd be like, Rada, 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 Rada. And so every time it would come up in the book, that's all I heard in my head. So I have this whole secondary John DiMaggio plotline in my head about Ahsoka. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, one last thing I think was probably worth mentioning is the use of Ahsoka's name, where the, the pseudonym she gives people is Ashla. Yeah. Which is interesting on like a variety of levels. Um, one, the, the Bendu says that the Ashla is the light side of the force that Jedi tap into. Two, it was, and that's something that goes back to like George Lucas's original drafts, but like two, that was her original name. And that Ahsoka's Untold Tales panel, um, Filoni said that her name was Ashla for like the entire time of development. And then George Lucas walked in one day and said, no, I think it's Ahsoka. Oh, I completely forgot about that. And we heard about it in season two of Rebels with the... Um Lasan. With the Lasan. Right? That was what yeah. they yeah. called their version of the Force, basically. Which I think is. Do we think that Ahsoka knows that the Ashla is something? Is that something she learned as a Jedi? Or is that a name she picked out of thin air and it happens to have that connection to the light? Ahsoka is the Bindu. No, I don't. I'm just. Well, no, but I think Ahsoka was certainly touched by the events of Mortis and the sister. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she may not be conscious that she's making those decisions. You know what I mean? Like, she may know it, but she doesn't know she knows it. Well, which is how they handled her dealing with 
with uh, her dealing with the knowledge of Anakin's identity. Like Filoni had said that like she senses it and she knows it, but she won't allow herself to believe it. So she doesn't know it. Yeah. I wonder if, if Mortis has a lot to do with that too. Maybe, maybe somehow because that those memories got purged from, from everyone. Well, at least from Anakin. I wonder, man, I wonder if Anakin had more adventures in Mortis as Vader later. Like, what would that be like if, if maybe the, the force gods of Mortis tried pulling him back in to try to, to try to bring him back for there? Like, how would that confrontation go? And who would be there? Because, you know, they left with all of the force gods dead. Yeah, I don't have, I know. I'm just like, whoa. Um, is there anything else about the book you, you two would like to talk about? I mean, I think I, I, I it was, I mean, again, for what it's worth, uh, apparently nothing. Like I really enjoyed this book. Um, and, uh, and, and I loved what it added to the star Wars lore. Yeah. I really enjoyed it as well. And I don't, I don't, I love most star Wars things, but I don't love everything, but I don't know. This one was just like a yummy, delicious treat. Yeah, and I know, like, I nitpicked on the dialogue a little and that if you're not an Ahsoka fan, this is not for you, but as... Who's not an Ahsoka fan? Well, not, sorry, if you're not an Ahsoka fan, I just meant more that if you don't know her history. Like, if you're not, like, not that you dislike her, but if you don't come into it knowing who she is. Um, but as someone who does know who she is and, and loves her, she's she's my favorite character. I enjoyed where this story went, and I really... Thought it was fascinating to dive into just the the weight she has to carry around with her. Not that she has to, but that she does carry around with her because because she's who she is after the events of Order sixty six and how she has to find her way, and that she's able to even go on and find a place where she's not just a bitter. So if I had all that stuff go like happen, I would just go like get some loth cats and live alone, kind of like Obi Wan, somewhere where nobody would ever bother me. But she's back in the fight and, and rejoins it. And that cannot be an easy decision after what she's lost. So I enjoyed getting into that, seeing the connections to the Clone Wars. And seeing people, like, you know, like the little... They had a good amount of, like, oh, like, I know Bale. Like, I feel warm and fuzzy seeing Bale. Like, of those moments, too. Yeah. I really loved how, how we got a deeper view of her character. I mean, Ahsoka is one of the few characters we haven't seen in a format outside of television. Um, and, and to actually be able to kind of get into her head a little, I think was really fascinating and it adds a lot to her character. And because I love her character so much that that was really exciting to me. Yeah. I love the same stuff. Like I love that we kind of get the sense that she fights a lot of inner battles and that she has trust issues and that, you know, she has to consciously to let her experiences harden her, or if she can figure out a way to navigate a path where she can still deal with all of the horrible things that come with like a brutal galactic conflict and still find a path that is not dark and that is helpful and that is positive. Like that's a, a lovely story arc. So I think we all, we would all give that a patented Ebert and uh, Siskel and Ebert thumbs up. Yes. Yes. As long as you have watched Clone Wars. Although well, now I'm, that makes me want to find someone that knows nothing about Clone Wars and give them this book and just I know, see what maybe happens. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I wonder. Like, and and maybe you'd have to find someone of the right target audience. Maybe the exact age of of someone that 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 E. K. Johnson sort of tapped into in that YA market, like that that eleven or twelve year old girl, and hand them the book who they've never been involved in star Wars. And maybe, maybe, maybe this is the right way to bring them in. I think star Wars, like every bit of star Wars, somebody's making is potential, potentially the, the introduction to star Wars for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would be, I would be interested in, in seeing that. And I could, I mean, I could see where it would work because even if you did not know who Ahsoka was, even if you did not, 
fully comprehend like what order 66 was or how the clone wars had played out just the story of like take all of the jedi backstory out of it just the story of this like young woman who is you get the sense she has broken from everything she has known before and she is trying to make her way in the world but she is also compelled like she cannot resist trying to help people and better the lives of others like that in and of itself is a pretty interesting story so I could see where that would draw someone in that maybe even had no like sense of Star Wars at all. True. Very true. So, um, unless there's anything else you two want to talk about, about this book, um, where can people find you, Holly? Uh, Rob- thank you for joining oh us. Oh my gosh, my pleasure, always. You know I love you guys. Uh, I just want to say rada rada for everything now. Um, I... <laughs> It's like Roger, Roger, I am, but not. No, but it, Wait, I highly it. encourage you to go uh, to watch a little bit of Chowder. It's quite funny. Um, so, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Surliest Girl. That's probably the easiest. And uh, you know. there's that podcast we do that people can check yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> So uh, I'm always terrible at this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I do some stuff. Uh, So Brian and I host a podcast called Fothentic History, where we take fake history way too seriously. Uh, And I also uh, host Stuff You Missed in History class with the lovely Tracy Wilson. And Amy, where can people find you or writing? And and, uh, I'm not, I don't know how to be as like genuinely complimentary, like, I don't know. It just seems like all of this kind of stuff rolls off of Mike's tongue. I'm horrible at this. We need Mike back here all the time. No, you're fine. Where can you find Where can you find Amy's wonderful writings? <laughs> you can find. Thank you. You can find me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Amy underscore Geek. You can find my writing at Nerdist.com, StarWars.com, and Star Wars Insider mostly. And I also host another Star Wars podcast called Lattes with Leia. And you can find me online at Swankmatron, and you can find me on Facebook at uh, BrianYoungFiction.com, or at Facebook.com slash BrianYoungFiction, and my writing at BrianYoungFiction.com, and my Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron. Um, so I think that's it. That covers us bases. Uh, for Full of Sith, you can find us at Full of Sith, or uh, you can find our Full of Sith Facebook page, or I would highly recommend this. I don't know how. Uh, I don't. I don't know how how involved the two of you have been yet, uh, or if you've just been lurking. But our Full of Sith Facebook group has kind of taken off, and and there's been some really fascinating conversations there, and it's a really inviting and welcoming space to discuss Star Wars. I'm there a little. I commented on that uh, discussion about Ray and Tito. I, I I appreciated your contribution there because I had not seen that in that book. Aha! Yeah. Um, we like it. It, it. As long as you're around, whether you're lurking or talking, we just like having you around, Amy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's so adorable, and you just want to boop them on the nose. Um, so you can, uh, if you want to leave a voicemail for the show, you can do that at fullofsith.com using the SpeakPike app. You can email us at holocron at fullofsith.com. And uh, if you haven't done so already, you can leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else uh, you listen to podcasts. Or you could just, like, write up on your website what you like uh, or dislike, you know, we put that out there about the show uh, and, and just tell us about that. So I don't remember what else Mike says in this spiel, but uh, I'll end it there and he can, he can uh, tell me how I messed it up later. Um, so for my wonderful co-hosts this evening, Holly Fry and Amy Ratcliffe and Uh, Wishing a speedy recovery to our regular host, Mike Pilot. I am Brian Young, and the Force will be with you, always.
Sir, if you're not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.